Matthew 14, starting at verse 13 down to 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. How do you really know someone? How do you really know someone? If you want to really know somebody, find out their raison d'etre, their ultimate reason for being, their most important purpose for existing. How do you do that? Well, see what moves them more than anything else, Uh, what sets their pulses racing more than anything else. Uh, That's their key to their ultimate, their central passion, their reason for being. Then you'll see into their heart. And imagine if we could do that with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning we have a very special privilege Because besides the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000 miracle is the only miracle which appears in all four gospel accounts. Uh, So an obvious question for us this morning is why? Uh, Why is this miracle in all four gospels? Why did this one make the cut above all the other miracles? Uh, We'll try to answer that uh, by the time we've done today. Um, And today we're going to see Jesus' raison d'etre, what stirred him to the core of his being. Our first point, uh, Jesus had compassion. Jesus had compassion. I love the way Matthew throws in that little comment, verse 13. Uh, Jesus was trying his darnest to to withdraw, to escape, to get some alone time. Um, He had just heard that his cousin and friend, John the Baptist, was uh, beheaded, uh, a seemingly incidental detail, which we'll come back to later on. And so he needed some alone time, uh, time with his father in heaven, praying. Uh, the crowds, though, verse 13, clearly had other ideas. Gate crashed Jesus' quiet time. Uh, why not? Uh, this is Jesus. Um, of course, they want to hear more stories and see more miracles. Uh, Their motives, of course, would have been very mixed, no doubt. And how would you have responded if you were Jesus? Um, You just want to be left alone, uh, to withdraw for whatever reason, um, and crowds flock to you and interrupt you. 
Well, I have never experienced thousands flocking to me for anything, but I've got experience of the odd one or two approaching me in sensitive moments, namely under sevens when I'm trying to write a sermon. (laughs) And even when it is my own children, I'm ashamed to tell you, rarely would you describe my response as one of compassion. Um, Probably more likely um, a bit annoyed, um, irritable, uh, let's get this over and done with as quickly as possible. But not Jesus. Jesus had compassion on a bunch of people he probably had never met before. And there were thousands of them, needy people, lost people, demanding people, problems that would take even Jesus all day to sort out. Now, isn't that wonderful? We see a little bit of Jesus here. Um, He always had time for people, for you and for me, for anybody. And it's such a crucial comment from Matthew, because it is this reaction that leads to the feeding of thousands. So let's just consider what the word compassion actually means. To have compassion is a very vivid and emotional verb, which is actually annoyingly impossible to translate into English with a simple gloss. See, we could try to translate it divine compassion, um, active concern, sympathetic pity, but none of these quite go far enough. Uh, Literally translated, the word means uh, to be moved in the inner parts, in the gut. See, we say we have feelings in our hearts. Uh, The ancients, they describe their feelings in their guts. So perhaps um, his heart went out to them, gets more of the kind of emotional force of the underlying metaphor, Uh, his gut response. Uh, We could call this, um, though, Jesus' raison d'etre, couldn't we? People were Jesus' reason for being. Even when Jesus wanted to be left alone, his heart was stirred for people. And this is how Jesus responded to everyone. And like we've been thinking about all morning already, it's exactly how God responds to people. If you like, when Jesus lays his eyes on newly baptized baby Jesse, what happens to Jesus' heart? Well, it skips a beat, doesn't it? Um, Jesus would do anything for Jesse and anything for you. In fact, uh, Jesus has done everything for Jesse already. If only Jesse grows up trusting him, enjoying all that Jesus offers him. See, Matthew, in using this compassion word, is making us already think, who is this? Um, Jesus is God himself in the flesh. Imagine that. Compassion. That's exactly like God. God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And what does he do with that compassion? Verse 14. He healed the sick. It's a throwaway line really, isn't it? But Jesus, just doing that, He lands the crowds and the disciples in a real predicament. See, clearly, the queue of thousands of people asking Jesus to heal this, that, and the other, well, it took them so many hours that the day ran away with them. 
It took them longer than expected, you could say. So sun was now setting, disaster. And now we've got another problem on our hands, or at least seemingly so. But Jesus wasn't bothered about the time at all. Of course he wasn't. Um, We'll see why in a moment. Because it's the perfect time for an object lesson. So then comes verse 15. The disciples ask what I think is a very logical question. This is a desolate place. Literally, you could say the uh, middle of the back end of nowhere. (laughs) Um, Well, at least they're saying they're in the desert. There ain't no Tesco Express or Pret-a-Manger just round the corner. And the day is over, meaning the sun has set, and I've not had my din-dins yet. Uh, My tummy's rumbling, and so are the thousands over there. You've just healed Jesus. Um, You've fixed one set of problems, but now we've got one very big other problem. And even if Tesco were around the corner, they don't run 24 hours around the day just yet. That's a 21st century phenomenon. So they say the logical thing, don't they? Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, humanly speaking, that's a very logical question, a request, sorry. All that is, if you immediately forget that this is Jesus, Um, he has just healed, verse 14, all their sickness and has in the gospel so far proven himself to be God in the flesh, to be Emmanuel, God with us. See, we should be rolling our eyes at the stupidity of the disciples here. Uh, This is Jesus we're talking about. I mean, just in one chapter of Matthew's gospel account so far, chapter 8, he's cleansed the leper, healed the paralyzed, healed a whole town, calmed a deadly storm, dealt with demons trying to kill people. So they probably should have said to Jesus, right, Jesus, you're God. It's getting late. Surely you'll feed us now, won't you, Jesus? Because Jesus can meet our needs. And because he is full of compassion, he can and he will. Expect it of him. Look at verse 16. But Jesus said, They need not go away. In other words, why do they need to go anywhere? They're with me. And so we expect him to say, I'll sort out the problem again. But he doesn't, does he? He surprisingly says, you give them something to eat. (laughs) The disciples probably just looked at each other in amazement or bewilderment. Not sure you've quite grasped the problem here, Jesus. Firstly, we're not God. And secondly, look at the scale of the problem. We can't do this. 5,000 men over there, Jesus. Uh, Verse 21 tells us there were women and children too. So a very conservative 2.4 children per family, which obviously in those days would have been more than that, brings the count to a minimum of 24,000. So this is not so much the feeding of the 5,000, but the feeding of at least the 24,000. Jesus' request in verse 16 demands a response from the disciples, doesn't it? And verse 17 is just that. The disciples spelling out the maths problem. They said to him, five loaves 
Too fish, Jesus. We can't even feed ourselves properly with that. We might have enough for one family of five, maybe, but we're still going to be 23,995 meals short. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted them and for us to realize. See, what we're witnessing here is a miracle. It's a miracle. See, there are some that claim that one boy produced his packed lunch on that day, which he'd stowed away, five loaves, two fish, shared it. And then another did the same, and then another did, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on, until there was enough food becoming a massive bring-and-share lunch. Now, can you see that that kind of idea and claim just totally ignores what the text actually says? Equally, there are others, um, I think even more ludicrously, who claim that this couldn't have happened because miracles don't happen. Uh, They read the Gospels, if you like, presuming the supernatural is impossible. Uh, So they'd say something like this, um, you can't reenact this miracle, therefore it could not have ever happened. Uh, What a bizarre illogical conclusion that is. And yet notice for a moment how nobody in the gospel accounts or anywhere in the first century doubted that Jesus was doing these things. Isn't that interesting? I mean, look back with me at the end of chapter 13 for just a moment. Chapter 13, verse 54. Uh, Rather than conclude the rational thing there, uh, that standing before them was none other than God himself, rather than say that, they stick with what they've already decided. This couldn't be anything more than simply a man, they think. So they take offense at him, verse 57, and so reject him. Tragic. And yet so many people think that about Jesus today. And really, it's so illogical, isn't it? See, you couldn't doubt this miracle if you were there. This wasn't just some minor trick for a few people. This was a mega-scale production of food. I mean, just imagine the truckloads of bread and fish required. This can't have been sleight of hand. Verse 17, well, it's so obvious. No one can feed this crowd, not with five loaves and two fish. No one. So this prompts us to ask the question from chapter 13, verse 54. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? And so we must conclude that Jesus created food from nothing. And the point is really obvious then, isn't it? Jesus is acting as God himself here. You can ignore the text if you want, like some do. You can observe that miracles don't happen now, like some do. But both those positions miss the point entirely. Jesus created food from nothing. And that should get us thinking. Should get us thinking. This is a great crowd, verse 13, in a desolate place, literally in the wilderness place. This has happened before, we should be thinking. 
See, it feels like deja vu if we know our Bibles. Actually, it should feel like deja vu twice over. Uh, We could go to Elisha, miraculously feeding a crowd in 2 Kings chapter 4. The reference is there on your sheet if you want to check it out later on. But we're going to go to see the other deja vu moment. Uh, Exodus chapter 16. You don't need to turn there now. Um, I'll read out the key verse for you. But in the Exodus, um, God, he rescued his people out of Egypt into the desert wilderness. And what did he do for them there? Well, he gave them bread in the morning and quail in the evening. He fed them out of nothing. Why? What was the point of it all? Well, let me read for you chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 16, verse 12 for you. This is God speaking. He said, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the Exodus, God fed them to show them who he really was. It was revelation. This is who I am. And so in the same way, this is Jesus, chapter, Matthew chapter 14, saying, I am God himself, with a crowd, following him in the desert, feeding them from nothing. It's all done to prove that he is God. Of course, this is a creator's only miracle. Uh, You and I can't reproduce something from nothing, can we? Um, I can't make fish multiply, certainly not instantly. Um, Certainly not with just a word. That is godlike behavior. Now this week, um, as I've been preparing, I got to this point and I thought to myself, I don't think I'm going to be saying anything to the 10 a.m. crowd, that they don't know already. Uh, This is pretty obvious stuff, isn't it? But then I clocked something, and I'd like you to put this in your pipes and give this a smoke. Um, This is what really excited me this week, actually. See, this miracle is a creation miracle, but I think there's more. Uh, This is also a new creation miracle, a banquet where all were satisfied. Our second point, all were satisfied. Uh, See, we could easily miss this, but this is a banquet. Um, In contrast, actually, to last week, where we saw horrid Herod's ugly, lust-driven, murderous birthday banquet. It was tanked up with booze, uh, men turned on by seductive dances, um, given by Herod's stepdaughter, Herod, who was so immoral that his stepdaughter was also his niece. It was sex-mad. It was outrageous. Uh, The world might say, great fun to be there. But remember what it led to? Um, Bitterness, regret, guilt, and a murder. But Jesus' banquet, it couldn't be more different. Uh, This is a banquet of total satisfaction and joy. Look first of all with me at verse 19. Um, It doesn't seem all that interesting as a verse, but I wonder if you spot a peculiar detail there. Verse 19. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. I asked myself, why do they need to be told to sit down? Surely a standing 
picnic was doable. Um, why sit down and get grass stains on my tunic? See, the actual word there for sit down is literally to recline. Um, recline on the grass. And now that is an odd thing for Jesus to say. But the point is this. Uh, recline um, as if at a banquet. Uh, it's pretty obvious suddenly why the translators put sit on the grass because nobody says recline on the grass. But I'm sad that they didn't because that is not the word Matthew used here. See, even just the last time Matthew uses this verb to recline, um, it's on, so a reference is on your sheet. It's, it's chapter 8, verse 11. And that verse is where Jesus describes reclining in heaven at the table with the saints of old. See, this is meant to make us think this is a picture of the new creation, the final day banquet. Jesus is telling the crowds what will happen. This is a feast. This is not just something to tie you over for dinner tonight. Uh, this isn't just a McDonald's fish burger. Sorry to you, those of you who are fans of McDonald's. Um, but this won't just briefly fill a gap before you get home. This is a banquet. Prepare yourself for the most special of meals with me. And sure enough, it happens. Verse 19. Then he ordered the crowds to recline for the banquet on the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. All were satisfied. Literally in the Greek, complete satisfaction. And Matthew really stresses that, the all. Every last one of the 24-odd thousand there. Satisfied to the point where no one could eat another mouthful. See, it's probably similar to that post-Christmas day feeling. Full to the brim. Satisfied. Couldn't eat another mouthful, even though the table is still laden with leftovers. And the leftovers prove the point, don't they? Nobody could eat another mouthful. Uh, what a banquet. Uh, everybody's had more than enough, so find the biggest basket baskets we can and fill them 12 times over with the leftovers. Who's going to carry all the leftovers home? Because there's an awful lot of them. See, the point is more than just Jesus is the creator God who can provide for your needs today. But this is Jesus, who is the God of the Old Testament and who promises a heavenly banquet for his followers this is the banquet that God has promised his followers. I'm going to read you another reference now. Isaiah chapter 25. It's on your sheet for reference. Don't need to turn there. I'll read it for you now. But just listen to how Isaiah 25 describes this heavenly banquet. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a banquet of rich food, of fe a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. 
he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. See, the feeding of the 24,000 was in anticipation of this messianic banquet in the new creation. This miracle points to a day when everyone will truly be satisfied, not just with full bellies, but with whole lives outside of the shadow of death. There will be no death there. And let's not forget, you see, the death of John is why Jesus went into the wilderness in the first place. And don't forget, Jesus' compassion led them to all having their sicknesses being healed, if you like, wiping away every tear from every face. This miracle is a picture of the total satisfaction King Jesus brings in the new creation. This is what we all need. This is the longing of, of every human heart, whether they admit it or not. Life will be perfect. We're created for life with Jesus in this kind of banquet. If only we'd put our trust in the Lord Jesus for that day. See, lots of people, I think, think that heaven will be a long sermon, even longer than this one. Um, and you'll be pleased to hear that in heaven, um, I'm going to be redundant. Um, and that heaven won't have any sermons at all. Heaven's a banquet, a party, a celebration, one where we are all with the creator in perfect relationship, joy complete, satisfied beyond comprehension now. Jesus' banquet is a celebration so beautiful, what we all need. See, isn't it sad that most Christians don't tell the world that satisfaction in Jesus is actually an eternal party with him? I reckon most of the world think Jesus' version of heaven is just a boring, never-ending church meeting singing Kumbaya. That couldn't be further from the truth, though, isn't it? So I guess the question we should all be left with is this. Um, do we want to be in Jesus' banquet? Do we want true, lasting satisfaction? Because when we think about it, this is really what we all need. It's not surprising that the creator of the universe knows exactly what we actually need. The world, they can offer you a McDonald's-style satisfaction. The kind of satisfaction where it tastes good at first, but deep down, you're regretting it before you finish the last bite. And it will never, ever last. Just like Herod's birthday banquet. Shallow, empty, fading, hangover-inducing. Whereas Jesus offers a far better banquet. Don't get me wrong, Jesus' satisfaction can look a bit odd at first. A mass picnic in the desert with the sparsest menu ever? But it will satisfy, now and forever. This morning we've had a glimpse at the Lord Jesus' heart, or maybe I should say his gut, his raison d'etre. He was moved most of all by people. Uh, not just to feed them for a day, but to give them what they actually needed, a glimpse of eternity with him. Jesus 
had compassion. Because of that passion, he gave us what we actually need, true, eternal, lasting satisfaction. So when you look at little Jesse, what is your greatest hope for a little boy like him? Well, Jesus has the greatest of hopes for Jesse. He really does. That Jesse grows up trusting in him, the creator who will create him a new creation. So that Jesse joins the banquet in heaven and finds the only satisfaction that lasts forever. I hope that we'll all be there too as we join the eternal satisfying party. Let's pray as we close. Gracious Heavenly Father, creator of all things, and the one who's promised us such a banquet in the future, thank you for showing us Jesus moved with such compassion in his gut. Thank you that Jesus loves us, every one of us, loves us so much that he'd die for us, and wipe away every tear, now and forever. Thank you that Jesus wants us all in his heavenly banquet. And thank you for this precious glimpse of the future day party. And we pray that we'd all find the only satisfaction that truly lasts. Satisfaction in our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ now and forever, we pray. Amen. See, lots of people, I think, think that heaven will be a long sermon, even longer than this one. Um, And you'll be pleased to hear that in heaven, um, I'm going to be redundant, um, and that heaven won't have any sermons at all. Heaven's a banquet, a party, a celebration, one where we are all with the Creator in perfect relationship, Joy complete, satisfied beyond comprehension now. Jesus' banquet is a celebration so beautiful, what we all need. See, isn't it sad that most Christians don't tell the world that satisfaction in Jesus is actually an eternal party with him? I reckon most of the world think Jesus' version of heaven is just a boring, never-ending church meeting singing Kumbaya. That couldn't be further from the truth, though, isn't it? So I guess the question we should all be left with is this. Um, do we want to be in Jesus' banquet? Do we want true, lasting satisfaction? Because when we think about it, this is really what we all need. It's not surprising that the creator of the universe knows exactly what we actually need. The world, they can offer you a McDonald's-style satisfaction. The kind of satisfaction where it tastes good at first, but deep down, you're regretting it before you finish the last bite. And it will never, ever last. Just like Herod's birthday banquet. Shallow, empty, fading, hangover-inducing. Whereas Jesus offers a far better banquet. Don't get me wrong, Jesus' satisfaction can look a bit odd at first. A mass picnic in the desert with the sparsest menu ever? 
but it will satisfy now and forever. This morning we've had a glimpse at the Lord Jesus' heart, or maybe I should say his gut, his raison d'etre. He was moved most of all by people, not just to feed them for a day, but to give them what they actually needed, a glimpse of eternity with him. Jesus had compassion. Because of that passion, he gave us what we actually need, true, eternal, lasting satisfaction. So when you look at little Jesse, what is your greatest hope for a little boy like him? Well, Jesus has the greatest of hopes for Jesse. He really does. That Jesse grows up trusting in him the creator who will create him a new creation. So that Jesse joins the banquet in heaven and finds the only satisfaction that lasts forever. I hope that we'll all be there too as we join the eternal satisfying party. Let's pray as we close. Gracious heavenly Father, creator of all things, and the one who's promised us such a banquet in the future. Thank you for showing us Jesus moved with such compassion in his gut. Thank you that Jesus loves us, every one of us. Loves us so much that he'd die for us and wipe away every tear now and forever. Thank you that Jesus wants us all in his heavenly banquet. And thank you for this precious glimpse of the future day party. And we pray that we'd all find the only satisfaction that truly lasts, satisfaction in our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, now and forever, we pray. Amen.